This Choircast podcast is brought to you by Holy Heretics, the post-evangelical podcast where being labeled a heretic is a good thing. We're starting conversations about God, politics, Christian nationalism, sexuality, gender, spiritual abuse, faith deconstruction, and how to recover from evangelicalism. Nothing is off limits in our conversations with scholars, activists, and writers in our quest to find a freer faith. Listen wherever you get your podcast or check us out at sophiasociety.org slash podcast. Western Christianity has spent the last 2,000 years telling everyone they're separated from God. This is Not Church with John and Nat Turney. Could you one time just kick it, John? I mean, could, could, could you one time? Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I said that really fast. Hey, everyone, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Speedy Gonzalez, and I represent uh, the Lollipop Guild. The Lollipop Guild? Yeah, I don't know that you can say the words I represent and then not immediately follow into yeah. the, lollipop the Lollipop Guild. guild. The Lollipop Guild. Uh, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's required. Do you know the Muffin Man, John? Do you know the Muffin Man? The Muffin Man? The Muffin Man. The Muffin Man! That lives down Drury Lane? <laughs> I've met him. I have, I, I have too. Uh, in one of those previous experiences we were talking about, <laughs> there may or may not have been some uh, illicit substances involved. That muffin man. So anyway, uh, welcome back to the podcast. I slowed it down a bit, so you, you know you don't have to. Uh, this is the uh, podcast that we call "This Is Not Church." Why? Why do we do that? Because, uh, well, because it's fun, and because if it was church, you'd have, you'd have got the hell out of here by now. So uh, this is uh, this is our, our vision. What we love to do on this podcast, though, is just talk to people. I hope you've gotten that impression. If you've been around for a little while, if you've listened to more than an episode or two, um, what is important to John and I are the conversations. You know, that's why we don't really, we don't really, I was going to say, don't really implies you sometimes do. We don't script anything. There's no, you know, I think once or twice we've had guests, you know, like ask us about like questions in advance. I'm like, sure. I'm probably going to ask you your name and where you're from. After that, all all bets are off. So, <laughs> and that speaks to uh, our lack of preparation as much as it is as as to our 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 uh, desire for spontaneity and for genuine interactions. And honestly, you don't know until you enter into a conversation where those things might go. Right? It's completely unknown. We've had conversations start out one way, and man, by the end of it, you would have never in a million years guessed that we would end up talking about you know, brush cover bands in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> Who knows? Scott, Scott, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> I knew anyway. that was going to be a Scott thing. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the problem. So Scott Okamoto, we were just talking, we have a mutual friend. And um, I instantly, and John did too, I think, but we instantly bonded over music because we all have a very similar music taste. We're all musicians. He plays, and I play. And so it was, it could have easily just evolved into, okay, best Van Halen record, go. All right, what's your first, what's your, favorite progressive rock band, go. It was almost like that scene out of uh, Step Brothers. We're like, did we just become best friends? I think, I think we did. Did we Again, we share a juvenile brain. But anyway, we are, we, we're here today with my brother, John, who is uh, currently sipping a double whiskey sour because that's how he does. That's how oh. he rolls. And, uh, and, our, and our guest. So let me, let me introduce her to you real quick. Uh, I'll read you a little tiny bit about her and then we're just going to see where the evening takes us. All right. Cynthia Vaca Davis teaches narrative nonfiction and journalism at Christopher Newport University. She holds an MFA in creative nonfiction and has led nonfiction workshops at the Muse Writers Center in Norfolk, Virginia, one of the biggest community writing centers of its kind in the country. 
She's written hundreds of feature stories and profiles, a handful of pieces for literary journals, and two independently published YA novels, The Chrysalis and Drink the Rain. When she's not at home in coastal Virginia with her husband, pets, and students, she can often be found in the French Quarter of New Orleans, whoop, whoop, in search of jazz and parades. A connoisseur of beverages, she loves to share a cup of just about anything around a table full of friends. And now we just became best friends because I love the French Quarter and I love New Orleans. So, um, and I love jazz and I love booze. Oh, <laughs> all the things. <laughs> okay, Mardi Gras this year we're gonna get. <laughs> yes, I've already got all of my uh, my ducks in a row there. I've already got my plans. Oh, I'm gonna be there. I'm always there. <laughs> that's amazing. Oh gosh, I've always, I, I, I say I love New Orleans like I like I like I frequent New Orleans. I've I've been and I loved it. So I should say I, I love frequent. It. I frequent. I there have been times when I've gone every month, and there, it's been it's been a painful absence. I've been gone for three and a half months now, and that is like, whoo, it's hard. Um, I try, I try to go, you know, every every month or two if I can. <laughs> wow, were well, you living in Norfolk? Where are you from originally? Were you from that area? No, I am from um, kind of all over the place. I spent, but. 10 years of my childhood in um, New York State. And before that, um, I don't remember. I, I Before I was five, I moved, I think, 10 times and I don't remember them. So <laughs> no, I discovered New Orleans as a full-fledged grown-up. And um, it's just, just, it's my, I describe it like it's my soul home. Like I just feel most myself when I'm there. Um, I just, it was like, you know, you, you talk about love at first sight, you know, I fell in love with the city and that's just, that's just what happened. So oh, God knows I'm lucky there's... enough to have direct flights right from Norfolk and right? I, can be, I can be in New Orleans in two hours. I just make a decision, get on the plane, I'm there in two hours. That's nice. I, <laughs> I, I felt that way. I, unfortunately, I, I visited um, the first time um, we were still at the tail end of the initial COVID outbreak. And so it was a little weird. Because we were still we were still skittish about people, and you know New Orleans is a people city. I mean, there's just it people, is. It, I mean, you don't just walk down the street in the French Quarter. You you walk down the street with a hundred of your closest friends, right? And you go to the bars, and and so I was still, I think, in that sort of initial PTSD, like oh 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 hey, don't get too close, like like yeah. I'm not, and you know half the people there didn't give a rip because they were either drunk or high. <laughs> No, New Orleans was it was strange during COVID. I was there, yeah. you know, a few times during COVID, and it was it wasn't itself. It just it was it was a weird experience. Yeah, it was strange, but I feel that way. Feel that way in San Francisco. Like that's like my soul home is always going to be the Pacific Northwest. San Francisco is just John feels that way probably about Seattle. Uh, it's just like you just like you get to Seattle and you just go. <sighs> yes. <laughs> yeah, Seattle's Seattle's the place I go. When I need to be, and it's weird, isn't it weird that we all have a place we need to go, but it isn't where we live, right? But uh, for me, yeah, it's Seattle. So if I need to, if I need to, like, like recharge my batteries and feel like I belong amongst a community of people, uh, it's Seattle. Oh, that's wonderful. I've been there once, and it was a long time ago, but I loved it. Yeah, and I just walk down the streets, and you know, it's you know, it, well, I love coffee. Seattle's a coffee town. Sure is. Uh, I'll never, I'll never leave the West Coast. So Puget Sound area, Pacific Northwest, for me is 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 home. I mean, it's you get you get the weather, you get the coffee, you get the good beer. Yeah, all the things, all the things, and you get to go like pretend to almost lick the gum wall. I mean, who doesn't want to do that? 
Uh, that, that horrified me. Are you talking? Are you kidding? There was nothing remotely endearing about a wall full of chewed up gum. That was dumb. No, oh, no, that's it's terrifying. Just, it's a germaphobe's worst nightmare, man. Oh. It's like a, first time I took my wife to New York, and you know, I love New York too. I mean, I I, I could live in New York, but my wife is like, no, too many people. But you know, you still you still get that overcrowded, lots of lots mm-hmm. of it's it's just hustle and bustle and activity, and there's always something to do, and there's you know, there's this underlying smell of urine in the air, which is great. You know, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's Bourbon Street. Bourbon Street. It's like, exactly right. <laughs> alcohol and urine. Like I'm, stand, I'm like standing over one of the, like the subway vents, you know, and I'm like, oh, wait a minute, hold up. What is coming up to this vent? I don't need that. A slight whiff of, you know, vomit. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't need all this all over me. I need to get the hell out of here. But, but that's so cool. All right. Well, maybe we should start, a, we'll start a travel show next, John. There you go. I could do that. I could travel and 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 just talk about food and and, and drink. And, oh yeah. You know. Oh yeah. The oh, beverage scene. You know, man. as you as you noted, I'm a connoisseur of beverages. You just go all the places, talk about what we drank, what we experienced. I'm I'm down. Sign me up. I'm a big whiskey guy. John is too. And the Bourbon House in New Orleans is one of my favorite places. Oh. Because there's just a wall of whiskey. I mean, it's just. Massive. There's probably the Sazerac House. No, the Sazerac is that- House is a uh, is is a bar, and they do some they do some distilling and stuff there. But there's a place right down the street from there called the Bourbon House. This is uh, this is my whiskey sour with Sazerac. With Sazerac, yeah. Oh, okay. But, but the Bourbon House. The Sazerac House now has a wall, like an entire wall. I think there's seventy thousand bottles in the wall. Mercy. Wow. See, mm-hmm. I would just go there and never leave. Just. <laughs> anyway, so we'll do it. We'll do a travel show, and we'll we'll go to we'll go ride the Kentucky Bourbon Trail, or we'll go to we'll go adding all those things. Ah, all all, the things, all the things. Well, hey, let's talk about let's talk about you more so than than New Orleans. Although we do love New Orleans, but I don't really know where to start. John, where should we start? You can start the way we always start, and you can do the whole uh, faith journey. Sure, because uh, I know that the, your faith journey ends with uh, some stuff that comes to a head because of your. Speaking out for the intersex people, right? Yeah, and in, in intersex uh, specifically, but also you know queer people in general. Um, right, right. And I think that's that was the issue that kind of brought everything to a head for me. So yeah, I mean, if you wouldn't mind, yeah, just give us like your faith journey up to that point, and then we can. That's a good launching point off of there. Yeah, yeah. So um, I grew up in a pretty um, well. My my. Parents were not Christians when I was born, but my dad um, was a Billy Graham convert, and this happened when I was—he was, he was uh, well, I was about eight, and he was—he was a seeker, and he stumbled across a Billy Graham crusade on television one night and did the whole sinner's prayer thing. And um, my dad, being a seeker, meant that when he found Christianity, he wanted to know all about it. So he started like going to different churches and I started going with him. And eventually, uh, I think over the course of, of a bunch of years, we visited every like flavor of Protestant church that you know, like Methodist, Bible, Bible Baptist, regular Baptist, uh, charismatic. I mean, we just, we did the circuit of, uh, of, of evangelical churches. And I think, I think that uh, by the time I graduated from high school and, and was out on my own, I had uh, I had the, I did have a desire after just a, a you know sort of taking a break from church for a while. I 
um, my husband, I got married and my husband and I, you know, he was raised um, going to church too. It was just part of what you did. You're there whenever the doors are open. So we kind of followed Sue in our lives and, and found a church and settled down. And that was, uh, that was fine for a long time um, until it wasn't. <laughs> and uh, I was teaching at a Bible college and I had been teaching English and I had been an adjunct, which I don't know what you know about adjunct teaching, but it is, uh, you're kind of like an itinerant worker and you don't have any job security Um, Sometimes you're at multiple schools and I was, I was uh, teaching at two different schools and I was really hoping to find a place to land where I didn't, you know, where I had some job security and stability. And this school that I was at um, one day just kind of said, Hey, we have a, an immediate need for a tenure track full time, like a tenure track. If you're not, um, well-versed in academia, that is like, yes, your golden ticket. You just say you have permanent job security. It's, uh, you know, it's very hard to get fired when you have tenure. And it is, it's the thing that academics are, um, would love to have for the most part. So when this just kind of fell on my lap one day, it felt like, how did I hit this lottery for my dream job? Um, because I wasn't even, um, it was mid-semester. I didn't apply for it. It just kind of came to me. And I'm thinking, this is, this is pretty awesome. Um, but as, as fate would have, um, when I was going through the process to, to get this job, I was actually, I was filling out paperwork. It was pretty much a formality and a done deal. And they said, well, you know, there's just this one thing. Um, we newly adopted this thing that we're calling the marriage and family statement. And it was, it was just after gay marriage had become, um, same-sex marriage was legalized in Virginia, where I live. And this school was in North Carolina and the you know, neighboring states. So they kind of saw the writing on the wall and that this um, scourge of same-sex marriage might be coming to North Carolina. So they wanted to get ahead of it, so to speak, and uh, drafted up the statement, position statement on how they felt about the matter. And they basically said, they listed every kind of possible lifestyle, quote unquote, that they could think of that wasn't just heterosexual marriage, you know, man and wife. And they said all these lifestyles are repugnant, was the word, and offensive to God and the principles of the university. That was, that was the wording. And yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a lot to take in. It was a lot to process. And, um, you know, uh, with the, intersex part comes in is just the week before this had happened. I had a friend that I knew from church who had had a serious conversation with me and said that uh, we knew that there was a lot going on um, with this person and uh, that they hadn't been in a good place. And then during this conversation found out that this person who I had thought was a woman in our church, in fact, I thought they were a lesbian, but they said to me, you know what? You know, you, you've known me as a woman, but in truth, I am intersex. And I had not heard the word. This was 2014. I hadn't heard the word intersex. And I learned that night that, that my friend, who I thought I knew, had gone through double puberty, had essentially all the things you can think of that happened during puberty, had had both for, for male and female pu- puberty, got a period and also had a, a testicle that descended and had all of the things that come with both both sides of it, uh, but didn't tell anybody. 
and at this time he was uh he was about 40 and had never told anybody that this had happened because instinctively he knew that this wasn't something that got talked about in Christian circles. And if he were to talk about it, he might lose his family and his faith and just instinctively knew it was dangerous to speak about. So he held this inside for 30 years, 30 plus years, and didn't tell anybody. But the thing is about intersex, there's so many ways to be intersex. It is an umbrella term. But oftentimes people who are intersex have a lot of kind of competing hormones and it can really affect your physical health as well as your mental health. And at this point, my friend's life was actually um, at risk and uh, both from a mental health perspective and um, his physical body. And he said, I, ha- I don't have the option anymore to remain silent about this. I have got to get medical attention and I've got to go forward in life as myself. And since I know that I may may lose a lot, I'm trying to get a team of people around me who will support me and who will um, kind of go on this journey with me. And um, he basically asked my husband and I if we would do this with him and support him. And we said, yes. And then the next week, this happens at work. And and I'm realizing that I can't make good on what I just promised my friend, Danny, and take this job because signing this piece of paper would basically be saying Danny was repugnant. Um, All of my other friends who were, you know, gay or trans or, you know, all I have a lot of different friends, you know, um, from different walks of life. and, And I would be saying that they were repugnant and I would have to, work at this at this university that espoused these beliefs and it just I couldn't do it and and I do know people who have been in similar situations and it's a job right and some people have been able to say hey I I am going to say what I have to say to get a paycheck and you know it is what it is I just wasn't able to do that so I I um didn't work there anymore <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, not only did I not get promoted, now I'm I'm just out the back door. So, (laughs) was this a a private university? I guess. Yeah, so it's a private um, Christian university. Call themselves actually a Bible college um, because their main thing that they they do is equip people to go into ministry. So, and I also thought that was tragic because really to be equipping people to go into ministry and to be just kind of discrediting and um, sort of uh, marginalizing an entire group of people um, that desperately, you know, want to be included and need to be ministered to and to just to say, no, those people are repugnant and uh, have no, you know, we're not going to train you to work with them. It, it just, it seemed tragic. It seemed like, it seemed to me that churches and schools that are training people to work in churches should be running for toward the people who are marginalized should be running toward people who are not um not fully accepted in society and instead the church is is propagating this idea of no they're supposed to be marginalized yeah. so yeah and and, yeah, for, and was, if we had our way they'd be further marginalized exactly and so that that was just a disconnect that i could not 
um, I couldn't make it work. I couldn't, I couldn't understand how I could possibly support my friend, Danny, work at this school and just have no conflict over that. Just, it wasn't going to work. So I had, I first had a conversation with, with the school and I told them why I wasn't able to sign their, their paper. And they kind of pushed back a little bit and thinking, oh, well, it, it was a little bit, um, a little uncomfortable because they were, it was almost like, oh, does she not understand? Um, surely she doesn't understand. Oh, <laughs> I think we're talking past each other. No, and said, no I, we, I understand. We are. <laughs> I understand. We are not talking past each other. I, I know exactly where you're coming from and I'm just not going there. So that was, you know, the first kind of layer of, of not so much my faith falling away, but realizing that the institutional, it was my first like, institutional kind of break with um, a Christian organization. And um, I thought in my mind, I'm thinking, well, my church will do better because I knew Danny from church and I knew that Danny was going to be talking with our church. And I felt really confident that our church was going to be wonderful. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Things weren't as great there either. At first, the church was kind of surface level supportive um, in word, but as Danny was becoming more himself uh, and started physically changing and, and living fully as a man, um, even though people who said they understood that started distancing themselves and um, some people started leaving the church. And then when the bottom line starts getting impacted at the offering plate because people are leaving, that's when the leadership kind of started to distance themselves too. And then I realized, oh no, my church isn't going to do better at all. And, and that, that was another just layer of, of realizing I was starting to go through this. I guess the, the term we're all using now is deconstruction, but yeah, that's kind of what started that for me. Yeah. I think, I mean, Nat and I have similar stories where we were in churches where, like you said, surface level was there was this kind of surface level okayness with the LGBTQI plus community, right? So my church would be like, okay, obviously everyone's loved, everyone's welcome. Right. And so I, I kind of took that as, at face value as I was stepping out and you know becoming more of an ally and realizing that their version of everyone's welcome, everyone's loved is everyone's welcome and everyone's loved to the point where they are willing to change themselves to fit in. And if they're not willing to change themselves to fit in, then then they're going to be you know politely asked to leave, right? And uh, or not so politely or not, in some situations. Yeah. Well, exactly. And, and I was a part of a church that 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 you know a couple of churches that would hurt themselves, patting themselves on the back because they weren't openly hateful, because that was their base level of tolerance. Was well, we're just not going to be mean. Oh, okay. Thank you for the absolute bare minimum of 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 humanity that you would just. But that, and then they're like, "Aren't we accepting? Aren't we inclusive? Look at us, you know." But they were barred from every level of leadership. That's always the case, and in so many of these stories, where oh, you can come, you can be here, you know, we'll let you sit in the pew, we'll let you listen, but don't don't get involved. Right, right. It's it's even worse than that. It's like don't be vocal about who you are. You, know, you can sit. You can sit in the pews, right? You can sit in the chairs, but don't, don't, don't be openly affectionate towards your same-sex partner or whatever, right? As long as you do that and you're quiet, 
and you just sit there. Obviously, the hope is that there's going to be some kind of conversion, right? That they're going to have this come to Jesus moment, realize, oh my God, I've been wrong the whole time. Right. And that's the reason why they're allowed to come and sit and listen. Just, you know. Because maybe. Right. They can absorb all this wisdom. If, if they stick around long enough, we can ungay them. Yeah, we just pray it all away. And, I, you know, we all know we all have our friends, right? I have we all have I thank God I have several friends who are all across that spectrum. Um, I don't know any one of them who, especially when they were younger, when they were first coming to terms with their identity, who would not have changed that about themselves if they could. Oh, of course. Of course, because it's keeping you from so much. So so if it was just a matter of willpower, if it was just a matter of prayer, if it was just a matter of... I, I, several of my friends have, have, have had these soul-crushing experiences where they have, you know, they have begged God to, to make them straight, make me, make me like it. And I don't know, it just... It, I, I think we all have this similar path where at some point we go, okay, I can no longer... Um, participate in this, right? Either directly or indirectly in this marginalization of people that I love. Um, it helps to know people in that community. It helps to actually be able to put faces to names and not deal with abstractions, right? So suddenly you have human beings that you know and care about and love who are being denied entry on a multitude of levels to things that they should not be denied, denied entry to. Um, I had a really heartbreaking phone, uh, conversation with a friend who wanted to, she, she was not religious, but her wife was. And she was just looking for a place that was safe to come to church so, so she could be supportive of that. And she asked me, you know, would they be safe? And I, I had to be honest and say, no, not 100%. I'm sorry. You know, you'll be, I mean, you'll be safe in the sense you won't be attacked. No one's going to preach from the pulpit that you're going to hell. There's that level of humanity that exists here. But but there's going to be a level where you're, you're going to not be able to be yourself. Does that make sense? Right. And that is dangerous. It is dangerous to, to make people suppress their identities. And to, yeah. And so, yeah, I don't want to sugarcoat that. That's not a small thing. You know, hey, you can come here as long as you're willing to, to pretend on some level, you know, and please don't, you know, flaunt your alternative lifestyle. I'm using giant air quotes, by the way, if you're listening. Um, yeah. Um, cause even, even, <laughs> even, even saying, those two words together makes me want to throw up my mouth a little bit. But yeah, so there's, there was, there's implicit danger in that. It's not safe. It's not, it's not welcoming. It belies to me, it betrays everything that Jesus taught about how we were supposed to treat one another. And so to then put the name Christian on it, to me, that's, that's the blasphemy. You know, you want to talk about taking God's name in vain. How about attaching God's name to hateful things? Amen. Yeah. Amen. Hey. Yes. So there you go. Soapbox over, John. Yeah, no, I, 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 that, those were all the thoughts, you know, as I'm, I'm going through all of, all of this, you know, with, uh, deciding that I needed to leave this job. And, um, the other thing that's interesting though about intersex in particular is that intersex throws a little bit of a question mark into the theology. And, because we are literally talking about the way someone is born. It's not a choice. It's not something that um, can be passed off as someone choosing a lifestyle. And that's where I found that initially there's this tendency to kind of almost make an exception, an intersex exception. Well, um, you know, we totally understand that this is a biological thing. But 
the fascinating part of that is in, um, in my conversations with this university, they wanted me, they said, so we understand a little bit about what you're saying about intersex. And they actually ran it by their psychology professor. Like, let's get to, let's get him on, on it. And then, <laughs> let's get to the bottom of this whole thing, man. <laughs> and the psychology professor said, yes, this is true. This is everything she said, you know, that, that lines up. And, and so then, so, oh, okay. So um, evidently this is a real thing. Um, and, uh, <laughs> checks the box. It's real. And, um, and then they, they asked me, well, no, we still, we still want you to identify the sin in your friend's situation. And I was stumped. I had no idea what they wanted me to say. And so I basically, I said, I really, I don't understand what you're asking me. And uh, it turned out that, that what they really wanted me to say was that um, if you're intersex, you need to be celibate. Oh. And, well, um, well, fuck you very much. Right, right. <laughs> and it was, that, that it was actually like alcoholism, see? Because... Um, <laughs> We we have these proclivities that uh, sometimes aren't just healthy for right, us. We just, so <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> oh my God! I, I, so I honestly thought where you were going to go with this is uh, the sex or the sin in this is that if if like your friend who you thought was female, right? So they identified for a very long time as female, right? Then chose right so that they, they they're not female; they're male, right? So well. The sin in this is that he, they have shown themselves as female for so long that they should just stick with it. Oh. That's yeah, where I thought you were going like, with this. No, no, they were They understood the whole, you know, the whole story. And, um, and actually, it was, um, it, it's, there's so many layers to this because for Danny to continue presenting female, which he wasn't doing a very good job with anyway, because he was very not, not feminine. Um, but, Literally, what was happening was Danny's um, female, anything female was kind of dying off. Um, and because Danny had always, from the time when he was, his earliest memories, he was confused why people were calling him a girl. He was confused why his mother wanted him to wear a dress. And when, you, when you're little like that, you don't understand how gender works. So he's thinking... I must have to grow into it. There's some confusion. I'll grow up into a boy. Everybody will understand because clearly they don't understand. This is like he's three and thinking these thoughts. Like, why is everyone confused? So always on the inside, he thought of himself in the masculine. He thought of himself as male. And really throughout childhood is wondering what the confusion is and why people can't see him. And then um, when he became an adult, it was slowly like any, all the female reproductive organs, everything just started dying off. But there was so much um, going on with his hormones being out of whack and everything that it wasn't even possible for him to continue on with this uh, like charade of being feminine. And so I felt like there was a baseline understanding about some of these biological facts but it just it was seen very much as this is an exception um there was actually a um, the president of the university said well i know he said this sounds an awful lot like that 
LGBTQ nonsense. And he's just like saying those letters, you know, like he's kind of... <laughs> like, like everyone is painful to say, right? It's like, yeah, yes. <laughs> this alphabet soup stuff. Yes. Like he's picking this out of a thick alphabet soup. You know, LGBT. And then he's, um, he said it. I know it's not gay, but it sounds like kissing cousins to gay to me. And <laughs> just, oh my god! <laughs> how is this happening? Um, and this is at a job interview, like basically where all this is going down. And and, and so I, I feel like there was this tendency, both at the university and at our church, to emphasize the the thought that, well, this is a medical problem. This is a biological problem. This is something that, you know, can't be helped. But like I was saying earlier, when Danny starts visibly looking more and more masculine, decides he wants to date. And, you know, that's when people just got very uncomfortable because it, it, it was too much. It, it was... Yeah, we can understand you have some medical things to take care of, but now you're really going to go through with this and, and do it do it all the way, huh? <laughs> and the whole thing didn't sit well with me. And it doesn't sit well with me when people want to make that intersex exception. Because honestly, one thing I've learned from um, another intersex friend of mine um, who's done a lot of research, and um, her name is Laura Beth Buckleider, and she is... Um, She's a, a minister, actually, ordained minister, and her story is very much like Danny's. Um, and she explained to me that really there are five different systems in the body that determine gender. You have your endocrine system. You have your primary and secondary sex characteristics. You have um, your brain function. And um, you have... So you have these different systems that are all on a continuum. All, all of our hormones are, you know, they're not identical. Our brains work differently. Um, all of these systems work independent of each other, and they're all on this continuum. And if enough of them kind of point toward male or point toward female, you kind of fit in that little that box. But since we're all unique and all different, Really, we do not have the luxury of just looking at someone that we perceive to have made a choice or to, to be trans and say, Oh, that, that's your choice. You are, you've chosen this lifestyle because we don't know. Oh, and the, the fifth thing is, is your chromosomes. We, we don't know. There's only so much we can see. Um, I don't even know what my chromosomal profile is because that's not something we go out and, and have tested. So. There are, um, there's another friend I have who has um, something called androgen insensitivity syndrome. And she was born female, looking female, and no reason to, to doubt that she was female, but got to puberty and um, didn't have a period. And ended up, uh, finally, her mother says, I think we should you know, go to the gynecologist and see what's going on. And turns out her chromosomes she, are, are male. Even though she has always thought of herself as female, presented as female, was raised as a female. And that is common with that type of intersex, that you can be completely female presenting and, and have no reason to doubt that you are quote unquote female, but have male chromosomes. And these are, so these are all things that 
you don't you, you don't get to know just by looking at someone. So none of us can look at somebody and just say, well, you are choosing to live this way. You have chosen a lifestyle because we don't know. We don't know what's happening inside their bodies, inside their minds. Well, I think it all comes down to specifically in this environment, in this day and age, no one is going to actively choose to put themselves in harm's way to our policies, politics, religion, right? So when someone says that I am, I present as a female, but I believe I am male. No one is choosing to do that just for the shit and, you know, shits and giggles. Just for fun. Just that sounds like a trendy thing to do. So it's asinine for the church and, and politicians to say that these people are just living in some kind of delusion. And if we can just get them into some kind of therapy that they'll get fixed. They're, they don't, they, th- this was me. This wouldn't be anybody's first choice to put themselves on the front line of these types of people coming after them ever. So for them to stand and say, no, I know I present as a female, but I, everything in me says I'm male. That's like a very, very brave thing to do. To be able to stand up and say that about yourself and to acknowledge that how you are and how you're going to exist to make yourself a better human being and to love yourself isn't, isn't, it's not taken, it should not be taken lightly. Exactly. Exactly. When when someone shares that, they are trusting you with that information. Um, and they, and sometimes it's an act of desperation. Just, you know, they don't know if they can trust, but they have to take that chance because it can be a very lonely thing. Um, my friend Danny, um, it, can, can you imagine 30 years of holding inside of you, you know, that you aren't who you appear to be or who you're trying to be and having no one to confide in? Yeah. And that, and that whole, it, what you said resonates a lot with me. I mean, that, that whole idea of like, well, okay, if I have something like intersex that I can say is a physiological, medical exception. To, so it asked, for me, that begs two questions. One, why do you need that? If I'm being positive, I'm like, they're desperately looking for a way to, to include some people. Uh, why they need that, that extent, that, that, that external validation, I don't understand. That, that speaks to me more of their issues. But I know people who are, you, you just, you can just tell by talking to them, they just wish they could let that thing go. Like if I could just, you know, I have friends who, you know, the vast majority of my friends with gay kids, for example, with the exception of one or two have been amazing. Um, it's been their kids coming out that has brought them into like face to face with these issues in themselves. And they've been brave and said, Oh, I've been wrong about this. Okay. It's, it's a bummer. It takes it to be your kid, uh, before it matters. It didn't matter when it was someone else's kid. But at the very least, when push comes to shove and it's their own kid, most of my friends have made, I think, very brave choices and, and they've become very, most of them have become very vocal advocates and outspoken allies. A couple of people have dug their heels in and done the whole, well, you know, you're not welcome in my house thing. But they're also, I bet you, if, <laughs> if, if they could hang their hat on somehow this not being their fault, <laughs> I feel like they're right. like, like, well, you know, you know, and, and obviously we have, we have as much evidence that points towards, um, orientation, um, identification, all this stuff is not being something anyone chose. Like, like right. I, nobody woke up one day and went, Hey, I'm heterosexual. I think I'll be attracted to the opposite sex. Exactly. 
you know, and I've had, I've, that actually has worked with a handful of my friends who I think are on the fringes. And I'm like, could I, could, could, could a church tomorrow be established that said everyone must be homosexual? And could you force yourself to suddenly become attracted to someone of the same sex? Is that, is that, is that even fathomable? And they, well, no, no. Thank you very much. Thank you for proving my point. Nobody fits. Nobody gets crammed into into a into a box, or they shouldn't be, and 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 forced to live this way. But sadly, we still have this really really good cudgel of of religion that we can bash people about the head and shoulders with, and say, "Listen, it's not me. No, I didn't make the rules. You know, it's it's you're gonna have to take this up with God." So (laughs) there's there's your out, right? Well, it's not me. Don't blame me. Blame God. Exactly. Um, like, oh, how about your <laughs> shitty interpretation of of a of a supposed holy book? How about we stop looking to ancient texts to tell us anything about human sexuality or gender identity or anything like, or science right. or whether the Earth is flat or anything else that <laughs> you know. Anyway, let, let's do this. Let, let's change gears for a second because um, we could do this forever. I mean, John and I are man. We, but I do want to talk about your books as well. So. A couple of young adult books. I think that's amazing. What, what, so these are, are, are your young adult books novels? Are they? So they are. And I awesome. haven't, okay. um, I actually haven't talked about my young adult books in a long time. They're pretty, they're a little, they're on the older side. Uh, that was kind of my, um, that was my project. Um, I used to be a youth minister and, um, I worked with, um, a lot of teen girls and, I wrote those books kind of alongside of them where some of the characters in those books are um, alter egos of some of the girls that I knew. They would help me guide the plot lines. And it was, it was sort of um, just a way to talk about issues that I saw happening all the time with my, my teen girls um, and put them in a fictional setting so that it was safer and more approachable to talk about that. So. Um, we the books talk about um, about dating and about um, underage drinking and you know they're set at a summer camp and so those um, a summer camp is a really fun place to uh, to it's a fun setting to explore those issues but yeah I actually um, I haven't talked in a long time about them but I am actually working on. Sort of, you know, technology's changed a lot in the last, oh, I don't know, <laughs> last six months. <laughs> all the time. Yeah, nobody's so. tweeting anymore. What the hell's going on <laughs> with that? We're all shooting out X's to people. I don't yeah. know. What, yeah, what do we, you know, as a journalist, because I... What do we even say? What do we say? I'm like, you used to be somebody tweeted. I mean, somebody axed. I mean, what do we... I, I, I guess. I mean... I have no idea. And what if you tweet about your ex? Did you just ask about your ex? <laughs> yeah, ask about your ex, I believe. <laughs> everything everything you write about your ex on Twitter, or ex, I'm sorry, is now an X squared. It's a, an ex about my ex. And, uh, <laughs> yes. it's, it's a shit show. I don't know what we're supposed to do here. Elon, you son of a bitch. <laughs> everything everything <laughs> just take the space flight and leave the rest of them just leave the rest of it alone but yeah so so technology has it it obviously you know it moves changes at a, at so, a rapid yeah, pace I, right i've been sort of on the sideline i've been revamping some of the books and kind of bringing them back up to you know um because <laughs> we had one of them we had film we had cameras with film and, you know, people are still using, oh, I don't know, AOL. 
<laughs> Nobody, no self-respecting teenager is going to you know, know what any of well, this is. They wouldn't is. even know what that is. People still use AOL, by the way, John. Did you know this? <laughs> they do? Yes. No, no, no. I run into people on a, on a daily, okay, weekly basis in my job. And when they give me their, their email addresses, they're either AOL or Hotmail. I still, like, have a, I still have Hotmail. Like, how the hell long have you had an AOL account and a Hotmail account mm. or Netscape? No, I don't have those things. No. <laughs> what is this? Remember when you used to get the discs from Blockbuster? Yes. <laughs> like, I used to get the little Netscape disc with the, or the Hotmail. I'm like, what is this? I don't understand. But, but yeah, so, but, but kids even, my kid, like my youngest is 22. No, 23. He's never, he doesn't know any of that. He, he grew up in the era of broadband internet and, right. you know, I mean, he's never had to listen to the dial-up noise from the stupid modem oh, on the computer. He was on all the good stuff, but so yeah, it, it, it's, it's cool to update that stuff. And yeah, so this kind of little side project I'm doing, I'll get it done at one, one point or another. But, uh, so I was, um, I was writing young adult, you know, just fiction books and I'm really kind of enjoying that, but it was kind of, um, I went through a shift and, um, it was really not too far removed from the time when I met Danny, actually. Um, I went, I was going to, um, I decided to go into an MFA program. And when you go to an MFA program, you choose a kind of a track to study. There were, they had poetry and they had fiction and they had nonfiction. And at that point, I was, um, I was writing some nonfiction because I was working as a journalist and I had my fiction books. I didn't do poetry. So I just decided I'll, I'll apply to both fiction and nonfiction and I'll see, you know, just like throw the pasta at the wall and see what sticks kind of thing. And um, so I wanted to kind of maximize my chances to get into this program and I got nonfiction. So that kind of signaled this like shift in my writing where I started embracing true stories as opposed to fiction. And I had a professor in this program who was really, wasn't a great guy. In fact, he has since, um, he's a um, disgraced biographer, let's just say, and he, uh, he's been canceled. And, but anyhow, he was, used to be my professor and, uh, he didn't, I was writing humor at the time and he didn't think anything was funny. And, um, <laughs> so. <laughs> That's got to suck. No, it was terrible. Like, it was terrible. Like, no, like you're mad at dead. this. Stop it. <laughs> dead on our tears. <laughs> Just... what, a, what a dick. Okay. Oh, yes. Complete dick. Yes, I got called into his office one day wherein he sat me down and he just got his own book off the shelf and read to me from his own writings and then slammed the book shot, shot and just looked at me like, like, this is how it's done. <laughs> <laughs> so he kept telling me that I needed to find something dark to write about. And then all of this started happening with religion and church and Danny and getting kicked out of the Bible college. And <laughs> so all this is going on. And Danny actually said to me, it started off, you know, it was almost tongue in cheek one night where my husband and Danny and uh, well, there had been some things going on. And Somebody said, well, you really couldn't make this stuff up. There's no way you could ever write a believable story about any of this. And then my husband goes, well, my wife could write a believable story about this because he's always pumping me up because he's like that. And I love him. But um, <laughs> so then, And then uh, it just kind of the conversation took a turn. And then Danny says, why don't you write about this? 
He says, I think somebody should write about this. I'm not going to write about it, but I think this is something that should be written about. So, you know, I felt, I went through a lot of emotions at that point because I kind of felt like, I wonder if I should be really, I felt uncomfortable writing about Danny because it's his story. But then he's telling me to write the story. And then, you know, we went back and forth about it for a while, but it actually was our story is what it ended up being because I was going through this whole kind of reckoning where I realized all the ways I was suppressing my identity and my um, my way of viewing the world because I wanted to always be liked and to fit into those boxes. You know, it was very hard to, to kind of get the boot out of the school where I was hoping to build community and hoping to build a career and then realizing that when I kind of exposed who I was and what my beliefs were that I could be tossed aside. And and then also seeing like just a fraction, a fraction of of the the kind of disapproval came at me that that would come at Danny every day in the the fraction of uh you know just seeing how people would respond and how they you know they raise their eyebrows and they would you know just be so unloving and thinking, oh, I'm just getting this little taste of what, this is what Danny was afraid of. This is what kept him silent for 30 years is, is this fear of how people were going to react. And just realizing that there were so many ways that I would mute my, my thoughts or my identity or my, and just, just to fit in, to, to want to be liked, to want to be accepted, to want to be deemed appropriate to teach it at this school and and seeing what Danny was going through to to be himself and all he put on the line to just have the opportunity to be himself it gave me courage to want to start speaking my mind and I realized that if what I had to do was lose that job to be able to have the courage to speak out and the courage to stand up against what I felt was wrong and the the ways the church was hurting people. And I kind of embraced this idea of I'll give this job up to have a voice and to be authentic and to walk into um, who I can truly be without trying to always censor and mute myself and worry about who's going to like me and who's not going to like me. And so slowly this story became my story of walking alongside Danny and watching him become his authentic self and me trailing right along behind him, learning how to become my authentic self. Wow, that's great. I mean, so much of what you say resonates with me as, you know, as I became, and, and I don't call myself an ally because I don't, I don't feel that's a term you can give yourself. You know, I, I stand beside my LGBTQIA plus siblings and if they, you know, if they determine I am an ally, then you know, great. If they don't, I understand. But I, what you say resonates with me is this idea that the little, the little bit of hatred that's directed towards me for even having the audacity to have these people as friends is just like a drop in the bucket, right? To compare to what they go through day in, day out, just trying to be their authentic self, just trying to live. Just trying yeah. to be human beings. Just trying to just you know, yeah. Just trying to get up in the morning, get go to a job, get through the day. And you know, the little bit of pushback I get because I have the 
like I said, the audacity to, to be their friends. If that, if I can at least open up a little bit to understand what they're going through, I'm never going to understand it all. There's no way, never. But if I can at least say, okay, by me acknowledging you as my friend or you, this group as my friends, I get a little bit of pushback, a little bit of hate. I'm like, I, okay, I get, I get why you, why you're angry. Yeah. Like all the time. Yep. And, and deservedly so you should be angry. Um, that's what resonates with me. And I think if anybody would take the time to at least get to know, become friends with people that are different than from them, that's the, that's the first step towards understanding because you're going to, you're going to get that little bit of hatred just because you're friends with, Oh, all your friends with so-and-so. Do you know they're, mm-hmm. they're you know they're gay, right? And then that little bit of that little bit of vitriol that you get for that is, like I said, like a drop in the bucket to what they're getting. But at least you get you you have a you can move towards that's a more uh, uh, a step from sympathy towards empathy, right? Exactly, right? exactly. Because it's super easy to sympathize, super easy because you don't have to step into their their shoes. But when you when you move from sympathy to empathy. And you empathize, and you and you feel their pain, and you feel what they're going through, even a little bit, right? We're talking a little bit, just a that, fraction, right? Just a fraction, but that gives you an understanding of what their day to day life is, of living in fear, not wanting to acknowledge who they really are, who they can trust, who they can't trust. You know, as a straight cisgender male, I don't deal with that. I go through life. Being who I am, and people can like it or not, fuck them. I don't care. But just the knowledge that by stepping out and saying that you're slightly different than the norm could cause harm to you is where we have to like, okay, that's where we need to step in and we need to be their advocates. I'm proud to be an advocate and someday I hope to be called an ally. But right now I will advocate for them day in, day out, every day, 24-7. Well, that's the, that's the heart of the matter, isn't it? That when you talk about whether or not people like John and I, um, talk about these issues is a choice I have the privilege to make. I can make it tomorrow. I can not make it the next day. I have this, I, that is the inherent privilege of being heteronormative, you know, is, is, it's, is, uh, those issues don't directly affect me. And, and I've, I've had to alter my way of thinking on that and say, okay, well, no, I don't get to be quiet about these things because my friends are living with this every day. And for real, you know, not to be melodramatic because it's not. Lives are on the line and they hang in the balance. And so we take that very seriously. I, I would, we would be remiss if we didn't actually mention the title of your book. Which is, <laughs> I don't think it's come up in 56 minutes of really good conversation. We'll make sure it's in the title at least. Yes, the, book is, yes. the book is called Intersection, right? Yep, with an X. <laughs> with an X, Intersection. Yep. So it's sexy. And also, <laughs> it's also a story of faith, identity, and authenticity. I didn't want to get through the whole interview and not be like, oh, by the way, <laughs> there is this book. <laughs> it is available. You should probably go buy it. We're here for, you know, for, well, we're here for the conversation. But what we hope for as at least one byproduct of that conversation is, hey, maybe some people find you and, and find your work. And so, um, not that Jeff Bezos needs any more of our money, but Amazon <laughs> is always a good place to buy this thing. Unfortunately. Hopefully. I, I know if you're like us, you know, we, I don't, 
you know, our publisher's a bit of a boutique publisher. So, you know, you're not going to find our books in, certainly not going to find them in uh, any Christian bookstores. <laughs> no, mine would not be in a Christian bookstore either. <laughs> we, we don't even have a Christian bookstore anymore. But if we did, John, you know how much fun it would be just to stick one on their shelf? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And just have somebody walk up and go, hey, how much is this? And like have it not come up in their computer and be like, I don't know where this book came from. It'd be amazing. I'll put it, I'll put it right next to all the Rob Bell books they threw out and all the other. All right. So that's a new challenge to all of our listeners. You need to buy these books and then drop and then them in your Christian bookstores. Local Christian bookstores and just, much, just put them in alphabetical order. Yeah, yeah, just put them in. Yeah, put them on an end cap and be like local author or new book or whatever. Like, and then, like just see how many people go, huh, interesting. And then just watch their faces as they try to scan it. My book is bright, bright, bright yellow. yellow. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it would yeah. stand out. It's got a rainbow spine. I mean, honestly, I advocate buying it just for the artistic yeah. effect. I'm it, looking. I'm looking at it right now. Going, that's the, <laughs> first of all, I love the title. I love the. I love the play on on the word. I love the. Uh, I love the bright yellow that gets someone's. It's, I, I want to buy a copy and just take it to a, a really conservative place and just like, or maybe just drop it in the church pew. <laughs> at some point, wasn't it Matt Stefano who was like? Mailing copies of his book to somebody who was like yeah, he was, uber, yeah, uber hateful yeah. and kind of terrible, yeah. and we're like, let's yeah. just like bomb him with copies of my book. But um, that seems like a waste. Don't do that. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to fail to mention um, your book. And uh, thank you, Nat. From, from what I, <laughs> but, but I tell you, hard on it. What, what what happens? We get into the conversation. Like, you know, we've talked for an hour. We're like, oh, by the way. There is a We're book. actually talking about a book. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we'll title. do a little tag on the beginning, like, "Hey, by the way, don't 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 run off without." But are there? Are you active on social media? Do you do the? Yes, I am um, pretty active on Instagram, and I've been um, mentioned a couple of times. That I'm also a journalist, and I write regularly for um, publications, a progressive uh, publication called Baptist News Global. Uh, a lot of people. You're the Baptist, and they you know, they get the wrong idea. But um, I write about um, drag queens, and uh, <laughs> so you must have a you must have an opinion about Flamey Grant. Oh my goodness! Yes, how I much read, do oh, we how much do we love Flamey? We oh my goodness! I could oh I could do a whole episode on Flamey because um, I have been I joke with Matthew Lovegood, who is the artist who performs as Flamey, that uh, Flamey Grant has become my beat. Um, yeah. So. We went to the Dub Awards. Um, I saw that. I saw that. Yeah. So um, that was where Flamey was not asked to perform. Flamey was not asked to perform. Was it? Wasn't it you, Flamey Grant, and Derek Webb? Yes, and um, Summer. Summer was there. Oh, okay. And then a bunch of people came from all over the country. We had about thirty people. That's amazing. Come from. All corners of the U.S. and most of them just said I had to be here. Yeah, and um, yep, I, I wrote all about it and experienced the whole thing. And it was—I I got to talk to like these thirty people that came. I, I talked with a lot of them. I, why? What made you come? And and they all said, "Well, you know, it's just just taking up space, just being seen, being here, and saying, you know, we belong here." Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Go I ahead agree. and try and push them. But I was disheartened, although not shocked, to see that, that uh, Flamey's album was removed from consideration in the Grammys. For, and the Grammys, uh, too. Uh, yep. But um, still considered for pop album of the year. Yeah. 
I took her out, took him out of the Christian because have you, <laughs> what well, it's like my favorite song on the album, by the way, is, uh, Esther, Ruth and Rahab. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> it's amazing. Because in, because the, in the lyrics, they, they use the, they use the word cock and, and not about How roosters. dare they? Yeah. And, and it's one of the best sort of tongue in cheek, like lines I've ever oh, heard. It was, it was a like, brilliant song. It's so, it, it is so subversive. And so like, like, oh, I actually, I was talking to my wife about it. We're sitting on the couch and we paused whatever we watched on TV. I'm like, no, you need to hear this song. Like, this is amazing. And she just laughed out loud. Oh, <laughs> so, no, it's interesting. It, there's, there's a line about, like, you essentially, like, you go to church every week to listen to someone talk, right? Yeah. But it turned in the <laughs> end, they, they only cared, God only cares about the prayers of someone with a cock. And I totally butchered the line, but it's essentially that. Oh, but yeah. There was, when, it, when it drops, it's like perfect. The, it's the perfect. rhyming it's like, and the, and yeah. It's like, I mean, if I, if I had, I wish I hadn't known about it going in. Like I, I was, I was listening for that line. I was like, oh, cause it would have been like, whoa, whoa, hold up. Like <laughs> back, that, back that up. Oh, oh they, they did this. And then there's the other one about being scared of, of, uh, anyway, uh, the other word that, that, that they were flamed for using. Hey, flamed. <laughs> Flamey, you can use that if you want to. You were flamed for using the word snatch. Um, cause apparently that's all the men were scared of. But, uh, but anyway, if you, if you have any pull, we've been trying very, very hard to get Flamey on the on the show. I, I know, I know, uh, they're very busy. Yes, very busy. I was so, like, it was it was amazing back in the day. It was that day would be October of 2022, <laughs> <laughs> which seems like forever ago. Back in that day, I don't know. I just I lucked out because. Um, Nobody was really talking about Flamey. Flamey wasn't really on the radar. And I just reached out and was like, hey, do you want to chat? Do you want to be on my podcast? And yes, of course. So I'm a, I'm like nobody. Uh, but at that point, uh, Flamey wasn't really, you know, we both had, we both, had, I had a book that was many months old. Flamey had an album that was many months old. None of them, you know, neither are doing much. They were like, yeah, we'll chat. So we kind of, we, we chatted on my podcast. That episode is still up on my, um, on my website. And, um, and then from there, I just started following the story. And, um, you know, it was um, about the time this summer, right before uh, Flamey hit number one, I had already been working on a feature story. So when Flamey hit number one, I had the story ready to go where I talked with Derek Webb, who had been, um, who did the um, video Boys Will Be Girls with Flamey and that had just come out. And so I had this story ready to go right the day that the, the number one song came out. And it was just like, I just happened to uh, connect at this sweet spot in the very, very beginning. So um, it was very cool. It's very cool. It's been quite a ride. <laughs> well, it was, and it was fun to watch all of that happen very organically. Like that was not the creation of any record label. It was not manufactured. It just was grassroots. Like, first of all, it's just, first of all, it's just a good song. It was well done, well produced. And all the other stuff for, for a lot of people was secondary. Like there, I, I know there were people who were bebopping along that song who were not a hundred percent aware that they were listening to uh, a song by a drag queen. And, and, and maybe afterwards went, ah, well, that's interesting, you know, but, um, if I was in my church, this would, I would, I would get fired and happily get fired for playing that song in my church if I was still going to church. Cause I, I would have 100% snuck it into a worship set and been like, 
What, you don't, you got a problem with any of these lyrics? That, that, anything that's been, no. But I, that would have been like my last, <laughs> my last <laughs> final act of, eh, I guess it's time for me to go. <laughs> Sadly, I reached that point two years earlier, so it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> I've had my fill of church. I've had my fill of institutional religion. And for all the reasons that we talked about, that was that if we go back to this concept of deconstruction, for many of us, LGBTQ issues, for a lot of people who deconstruct, if you, if you, you know, I think if maybe that would be an interesting thing to work on, you know, what was the point for, you know, I think for a lot of people, those issues, again, if they weren't primary, they were certainly in the running for consider, right? Like, yeah, like, cause I came, I came up against, um, you know, I was already having theological issues, massive theological issues, but it was a real world moment of a friend asking me to marry them and knowing that I could not and not having, not having the courage of my convictions to say, yeah, and then let's just let the, let the chips fall where they may. I was still dependent upon an institution for an income. I still had my brain too wrapped up in the system. And I, I just had to, and I, and I, and I said no. And then three months later, I have this massive reckoning and I ended up going, and, and, and I've talked to the people that I said no to many times and I've credited them with pushing me to the brink of, hey, this is no longer an abstraction. This was no longer like, oh, in theory, I don't have a problem with this. And I, would, I was already saying the right things to a lot of people. But when, when the time came to make a courageous choice, I did not make the courageous choice. And it, it, it bothers me still. Like it, it, it bothered me for a long time. I've, I've made amends, I hope, with, with those folks and vowed to do better. But, but that was, for me, like a lot of the stuff with, with theology, um, you can talk about in the abstract an awful lot. And then at some point, there will be an issue that will come that will demand a choice. Yeah. And yeah. that choice will come with, and I, I read a tiny bit of the, one of, one of the blurbs about your book. And that's, I think maybe that's what got me thinking about this was like you, there was no risk in any of your allyship up to the point where you had to say no to a job. And all of a sudden, okay, wait a minute, hold up. This is actually going to cost me, not just now, but in the future. This is not just going to cost me a little bit of my reputation. It's real world going to cost me money, cost me status, cost me position. And you were brave. And I applaud that. But I bet that didn't come without some sleepless nights. Oh, yeah. And, and to be, to be honest, like if, if that situation had happened six months or a year or, you know, it caught me in a different point in my life. I very well could have just, you know, made a different choice because I think it was just, it was the right moment. And having had that conversation with Danny just the week before, you know, and and in the juxtaposition of you promised this and now you're being asked this, that disconnect was enough, I think, to, to, to make me go, hey, that's... It's, it's time. It's time. But, you know, um, where you were at, you know, when, when you had to say no, I mean, I think we all go through, it's a journey, right? And I think we all have these stops along the way where we, um, I talk in my book where, of where I, I made a really bad mistake. You know, when I was a youth minister and a student came to me and told me that he was gay um, I had no tools and no information, and you know, I I didn't I didn't know the issue. I hadn't been trained on it, and here's a, a teenager, you know, telling me he's gay, and um, I said, 
it's so cringy. I said, um, well, the Bible calls it sin. And <laughs> yeah. Ouch. Yeah, yeah, it was very ouch. It was very cringy. And it was very like I had to go back and apologize. And, you know, it was it was kind of the one where, oh, yes, you can still come to youth group. And we still love to have you here. But uh, the Bible calls it sin. Yeah. And now I'm keeping my eye on you. <laughs> I don't want to see you sitting too close to that. Well, I, I actually had a, I actually had, I was a youth pastor for a long time. And um, I will say that I had a couple different uh, students through my time come out to me. And um, I thankfully had the presence of mind to say, okay, interesting. If you ever want to talk about it, let's talk about it. But that doesn't change anything about how I feel about you. It doesn't change anything about how God feels about you doesn't change anything about anything. So uh, you want to go, you want to go get some coffee? You know, I, I at least had enough presence to mind. I had sat through enough sermons in, in my life where, where, where I think I don't respect, I don't respect, but I have some respect for people who are at least consistent in their beliefs. So the hate mongers are the hate mongers. At least you know where you stand with them. Oh yeah. You know what I'm saying? They're still yes. repugnant. They're terrible people, but they don't hide who they are. And they don't give the illusion of safety while at the same time just just actively working to pull the rug out from under you. So I'd, I'd sat through enough of these cringy, cringy sermons from people who wanted to have it both ways, from preachers who wanted to be seen as tolerant and inclusive. And so they would say things like you had said before about your friend who was intersex. Well, that's fine. It's all well and good. You should just be celibate. You know, and so they would find a way to draw this line of distinction. Right. Between, well, no one's saying that you're bad for being gay. Um, you just don't get to act on act it. on it. And as long as you don't, you know, and, and and at some point you either you either fake a marriage or you just live celibate lifestyle for the rest of your life, and you get to completely shut that whole part of your life off. And and I'm like, oh, Christ, what are we? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. It just it to me, it's the cringiest of cringy stuff. But um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So we all we all have to go through this this process, you know. And well, and that's what your book deals with, right? Is your is you're walking through this journey with Danny. You're, you know, we all we all start at a place where we don't know enough, right? Yeah. Or some of us didn't know a damn thing at all. Exactly. Um, John and I, hell, hell, just in the last two years, we've had a massive education on especially transgender and intersex issues because we just don't know enough. We don't know enough people. We didn't have enough information, and so. Every guest we've had on who either deals with that issue or or is in that community, we man, we have leaned on them heavily. Like, okay, well, help me understand this better. Like, 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 help us to do better. So I guess step number one is realize that you don't you don't know enough. Exactly, none of us like, do. Like, no one's going to get mad at you for not knowing enough. My wife and I, several years ago, probably three or four years ago, at a bar we like to go to, were waited on by by a trans woman, and you know, we're this is new for us. You know, we're in West Texas, man. This is not like the bastion of, you know, like, <laughs> no, no, right? So there's there's this fairly obvious trans woman, and and my wife was like, oh, what do I, what do I, what do I call them? I said, I don't know. Hey, what's your name? She said, <laughs> exactly. she said, she said my name is Emma. You can call her Emma. <laughs> she's like, oh, oh, problem solved. Well, that was simple, you know. And I wasn't, you know, it might be a tiny bit awkward to say, what's your preferred pronoun? How what are your you pronouns? Pre- I mean, yeah, what? that's a Great question. I just want to know so I don't, you know, act like a dick. But <laughs> one of the simplest things I did, right, as I started moving forward, is I put my pronouns into all of my social media, right, onto my email. 
And I'm not doing that because I'm like proud to be he, him. I'm saying that I acknowledge that not everybody is he, him. Yep. And when you see that, you see that by my name, you understand that I've realized that it's, it's important to know what your pronouns are. My pronouns exactly. are he, him. Your pronouns are they, they, them, she, her, whatever, right? But I'm giving them permission by a simple little addition to my name by saying, I acknowledge that we don't all live into the, and again, huge air quotes, the norm, right? Right, exactly right. It's a simple thing you can do by just adding those, adding your pronouns to all of your social media gives permission to people who don't feel like they can tell you their pronouns that they, that you are a safe space. Exactly. Because and you become a lightning rod for conservatives who hate. Yes, you do. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. And yeah, that, yeah. Come on, that's just icing on the cake. I was, yeah. you, you literally beat me, you beat me to my punchline. <laughs> oh, everyone... So funny though. I was, <laughs> was this, um, <laughs> I just literally stumbled on this, but there was this uh, conservative podcaster it was Paul, Paul and Morgan. Um, I, de- I didn't know who they were, but apparently they are somewhat in, in the conservative space, though somewhat well-known. And it was, um, they had gotten wind of the Dove Award situation and were trying to make sense of it and came across one of my articles. And this podcaster starts, Re- he read the entirety of my article out to his families. <laughs> oh, I'm sitting here, I'm just laughing. And um, but he got to the part where I was referring to Semler by they, and he stops and he's like, "Oh, oh, pronouns, one, one of them. <laughs> Why? Why? It's just hard. Just say hard." <laughs> Just know because someone's not. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it's so fucking ridiculous because these people, when they don't know someone's gender, they automatically go they. to they. <laughs> they use they thems all the time when they're yes. not sure or they my, don't my know fa- the gender. My favorite are the unintentionally ironic tweets by people, and I'm still calling them tweets because, damn it, that's the hill I'm going to die on. That, yes, you know, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, anyway. But it's like, you know, God doesn't use pronouns. And like the immediate response is, I am what I am. Hold on. Wait a minute. That, that's Popeye. Never mind. That was somebody else. I am, I am what I am and that's all what I am. Um, is it Popeye but, or is it God? But, but, but yeah, but God refers to himself as I am. There's a pronoun, brother. Sister. It, it's, it's just silly. It's, 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 it's this fixation on the minutiae, you know, and it's fixating on things that at the end of the day um, cost you nothing to do. Like there is, it, there is zero cost to you as a human being to act like a human being to somebody else. They create this idea that is so difficult to, to use a correct pronoun to, to acknowledge well, another somehow, human being. Yeah, some, it's one of the, it's one of the, honestly, it's one of the easiest things to do. To acknowledge somebody by the pronouns they feel that closely, you know, that make them feel most appreciated, right? Or, or, or connected that or acknowledged right. or yeah. seen. Just, it's one of the easiest things you can do and it's not hard and you will make mistakes. Oh, we've done it. And when they are honest mistakes, the people who you are mis, mis, 
misgendering. Gendering are the most forgivers, <laughs> most forgiving. <laughs> I said forgivering. When you misgender me, John, I will forgive you. <laughs> Thank you. But, it, but, but for the most part, but they, acknowledge, they acknowledge that we all we make do. mistakes, but when you purposely you know, misgender them over and over mm-hmm. and over again, they have the right to call you out on that. And we, as their advocates, need to call these people out too and say, no, that's not the right pronoun. You know, if they, if they are called, if they want to be she, her, we say, hey, that's, they are she, her. If they are they, them, they yeah. are they, them. If you have a hard time with that, then just call them by their <laughs> fucking name. <laughs> no, I'll only call them by the How name God gave them. Uh, I mean, it's the same issue that you have with people though, who get <laughs> held up on stuff like Latinx, you know, like, 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 oh, okay, yeah. I'm not going to use that term. Why would I? Well, maybe if that's what your, what your Latinx friends prefer, maybe you could do them the courtesy of using the term they prefer. You know, it's really not. It, let's just, let's just start mis, misgendering people who don't like. Now that is Don't fun, like this, you know, when, but, you, when you like work with someone who's like so like anti this, you know, and it's, it's, uh, God forbid, it's almost always white. Of course, male. it's always the Ben Shapiro's of the world right. who need to be mis. So let's just let's just call let's just start calling him <laughs> yeah. she hers. I'm just gonna start calling him like uh, her. Okay, fine. Ben Ben's or they Ben's a, or I they. Can, uh, we can openly criticize Ben because he's a he's a tool. Uh, Absolutely, or Robert Peterson. Or anyway, uh, anyway, we we could go on like this forever. We probably should wind it down. I don't Absolutely. want to forget. Yeah, we probably should. Um, and we'll we'll again we'll tag everything in this. But intersection is the name yeah. of the book. Um, make sure and go to um, that place and buy one or three or five or six. And if you're really up to the challenge and if you live in a place that still has a life a life way, a life way, like that, John? It's like Wi-Fi and like, life it's, like it's like Christian Wi-Fi. Life yes, way. that's exactly what it is. <laughs> but you still have a... Does, does life way still exist or they go bankrupt? I if there's a know. God in heaven, they've gone know. bankrupt. But if there is a Christian bookstore in your town, maybe maybe just sneak one on the shelf and just sort of yeah. stick around and see what happens. That would be yeah, amazing. Stick around for the show. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Or maybe you go buy it. <laughs> you can just like stick it on the shelf, go back a couple days later and be like, hey, this looks like a pretty cool book. Um, amazing. <laughs> how much is yeah. this book? <laughs> it's, clearly, it's at least 50 bucks because that's what I would pay for this. Um, <laughs> I love it. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for hanging out with us. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry it took so long to make it happen. Thank you for having me, and thank you for uh, you know persevering. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, it's been it's been a joy. I I really appreciate uh, your sense of humor, and I'm sure. uh, And uh, anyway, just everything. Everything everything about you is great. So been great, awesome. Thank you for listening to this. Is not true. Be sure to rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice. If you would like to partner with us, visit patreon.com slash thisisnotchurch, where you will receive exclusive content such as early access to episodes, videos of upcoming episodes, and live Q&A sessions. Be sure to check out our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All the links are in the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode.